Coming up on AEA Amplified, Tom Duncan, president of Tom Duncan Avionics. From the Aircraft Electronics Association, this is AEA Amplified, a podcast for aviation's technology experts, with your host, Jeff Hill. Hello again, everybody, and welcome to another episode of AEA Amplified. I am Jeff Hill, the Director of Communications for the AEA and the editor of Avionics News Magazine. And we've got an exciting show lined up today. With me today is Mr. Tom Duncan, and he's the president of Tom Duncan Avionics, an AEA member company since 2018 and headquarters at the Fayetteville Municipal Airport in Fayetteville, Tennessee. Tom, thanks so much for joining us today. And how is everything in Tennessee? Thanks for having me, Jeff. Uh, everything is fantastic in Tennessee. The weather is absolutely beautiful today. Sun's shining, 70, 75 degrees, and no rain in our forecast just yet. It's a beautiful day down here. Beautiful day, and here it is in early October of 2020, and we are making some more history with this episode. Uh, it's the third episode we've done for AA Amplified, which has been received really well within the AA membership and, and within the general aviation community, but you happen to be the first repair station guest to be interviewed on our show. So thanks again for joining us. And I want to get into it. Um, you've really got a, a cool story to share. Um, you, you started your company just a couple of years ago. It's not even really been two years um, when you opened back in December of 2018. But you have a long personal history in the avionics industry and the AEA uh, with owning Duncan Engineering and serving as the avionics manager at Carpenter Avionics for many years. In fact, uh, I, I found this really cool. You actually applied for a scholarship with, with the AEA Educational Foundation 30 years ago, back in 1990. So this is something you've been wanting to do for quite a yes. while. And then earlier this year, Avionics News Magazine actually published a, a member profile on your new company. And that was in the March 2020 edition of Avionics News, if you're interested in checking that out. And there's two really cool quotes in that article that jump out to me when I was when I was reading that. And it was, I wanted to do basically what I'm doing now. It only took me 29 years. And and then the second one is I'm not a marketing and sales guy. I don't sugarcoat stuff. I'm just a technician who fixes things right. And then that is awesome. So tell us a little about your personal aviation story and where, when, and how did you get the aviation bug? Oh, thank you for the great introduction. Uh, I uh, had the aviation bug since uh, as early as I can remember. There was a, a neighborhood uh, gentleman named Mr. Mr. Stamp, we called him Mr., had had an old airplane in his, uh, uh, it was a fabric airplane of some kind. I don't know the, the whole story, but that's where it started. He was doing engineering stuff for uh, Rock on Arsenal in uh, the city that I grew up in, the Quad Cities in Illinois. And uh, we were always fixing stuff and doing things. And I just got uh, uh, some really good training on how to fix things and do things uh, right uh, early on from uh, 10, 12 years old and uh, uh, learned how to do that stuff. And uh, was always interested in airplanes and writing articles and papers for school uh, with uh, uh, Warbirds, the terrible, uh, the, uh, the, uh, the twin airplanes, the uh, terrible two uh, military ones from World War II and things like that over the years and, and wrote just a bunch of stuff for high school and then finally got the bug. There was a school in uh, Davenport, Iowa, Hamilton Aerotech that started an avionics division and I was in the second class for the avionics division started in uh, registered in 99 
uh, 89, sorry. Uh, and uh, the first class was in 89. The second class started in 1990. And that's when I uh, uh, did the uh, AEA scholarship uh, submission to see if I could get a scholarship. At that point, I had already decided that I wanted to start a shop. I just took a while to actually do it. Yeah, and so now that, that you're up and running, tell us a little bit about the type of work you specialize in. Is it is it autopilots or, or what is ex what type of work does Tom Duncan Avionics do for your customers? Well, a, a little bit of uh, everything in the GA uh, sector. We're in uh, smaller uh, aircraft, uh, Cessna uh, 172s, 182s, 210s, 206s, uh, Barons and small Pipers, some light twins, uh, some uh, light turboprops. Uh, and doing uh, Garmin and Aspen installs. Uh, we are doing uh, repairs on autopilots. I'm uh, relatively infamous or famous for doing autopilot repairs, and we have tried to expand our autopilot repair capabilities, so we're doing lots of that. There's not a whole lot of folks that are repairing autopilots right now or, or can diagnose and troubleshoot them effectively, so that's kind of our one of our mainstays, and then the rest of it is just installs with navigators and the new glass displays. and. Uh, audio panels and uh, still trickling transponders in there for ADSB. And so with autopilots being such a, a key uh, niche for your for your business, um, I, I noticed that, you know, as part of your company, you also have a division of Tom Duncan Avionics and that's called Autopilot South. What is Autopilot South and, and how is that connected to, to Tom Duncan Avionics? Well, we are in the South in uh, uh, Southern Tennessee, just north of uh, Huntsville, Alabama. So South was uh, a moniker that seemed uh, logical and autopilots is what I'm known for again. And uh, I always wanted to have an autopilot South uh, or and uh, to focus on autopilots. Uh, when the thought was born, it was going to be repair of autopilots because there was not new autopilots that were coming out. We had done panels, we had done navigators, uh, we had done transponders, we did everything in the panel, but the autopilots were still the same legacy autopilots. So I was going to develop a business uh, that focused on repairing autopilots. And uh, as time has gone on, especially in the last three years, the certifications of STCs and AML lists of autopilots, new autopilots from Garmin and Aztec and uh, the Benix King True Track line, uh, the new autopilots, it's starting to not make sense to start to continue to repair 40 year old autopilots, 50 year old autopilots. It's just, it's no longer as logical as it was even five years ago. And, you know, when you were thinking about starting your repair station, and that's probably been a, been a while ago, but I believe if I'm, if I'm correct, uh, that you attended the AEA certified repair station training course, uh, at the yeah. headquarters, is that correct? I did. Uh, me and another gentleman uh, from a previous company I worked at went there and did uh, did the training over several days, and there were a lot of takeaways from that. It was a very deep. Uh, in fact, there are still things that uh, Rick taught in that class, or or we went over in that class that I still use today, and used as a part of developing uh, the repair station manual and repair station processes uh, that we still have in that we have in play now and a, a lot of that came from a lot some of that structure came from that class yeah and that class is actually a five right now in the current format is it a five-day course uh all day with mr rick perry teaching that course he's the aea's vice president of government and industry affairs and does a great job with that course but there's so much content that that's covered in in that class um 
was it important, do you think, to get that personal face-to-face -face instruction uh, in an intimate setting in that training room? And I say intimate just because we limit the class size of that course to somewhere between 15 to 20. Uh, uh, Pre-COVID, it might have been 25 people in that class. But how important is that in-person instruction to, to, to really taking an impact for you that you could take back and go start your own business? Well, uh, the majority of a repair station manual, by the way, uh, it is requested to be written as a part of 145, uh, is essentially going to be the same and the wording should be pretty similar amongst any repair station manual you read because we're all conformed to the same kind of structure. Uh, and to ask specific questions uh, about uh, elements of uh, of the repair station manual was uh, ideal uh, to get clarity, uh, to get expansion of, of, of wording inside of the repair station manual to clarify things and to maintain compliance. And uh, there were a lot of cases that less was more and learned those things. And then sometimes there was things that needed to be more uh, detailed and there were very, uh, very robust takeaways from that class for, for that, for those topics. And anyone who's interested in that class, of course, can check it out for the next date and and times on those at aea.net slash training and once again we're visiting with tom duncan the president of tom duncan avionics here on aea amplified this podcast is brought to you by avionics news the monthly magazine of the aea that's available in print online and via mobile apps for android and ios devices for a free subscription or to read avionics news digitally visit avionicsnews.net or you can get it on Google Play or download it on the App Store. Now, Tom, we entered 2020, and it's been an interesting year. We'll get into that in just a second. But when we came up on the year, it was January 1st, 2020, and it was the deadline for ADSB, the FAA's deadline here in the United States, for all aircraft in controlled airspace to be equipped with ADSB out avionics. So if you could just uh, describe the run-up to the ADSB deadline, what that meant to your business. Are you still seeing folks, even though we're now 10 months, nine or 10 months past the deadline, are you still doing ADSB installs uh, or has that died down a little bit? We are still doing ADSB installs. They are not as uh, uh, popular of a topic. Most of the topics for installs was focused on just the ADSB. Uh, we have had uh, a multitude of customers. Uh, there's really two scenarios. One, uh, they have regrets of not going with a uh, more advanced model of ADSB uh, to get all the features, and they are coming back to upgrade what they already had in there. So we're seeing a lot of that change, and uh, we're also seeing uh, uh, ADSB requests because there are, uh, and and maybe just because I'm looking, there's a whole lot of aircraft for sale in the region. And uh, what's happened is these aircraft haven't been uh, flying very much and they've been in the hangar and somewhat taken care of, but they have not had panel updates in 10, 15, 20 years. And they're popping back onto the market with folks that want to fly them and want them upgraded, unfortunately, right now. And uh, they are getting ADSB navigators, glass displays, autopilots, panels, requests. There's us. Across the board for those kind of airplanes, that is the majority of what we're seeing right now is aircraft that have not been uh, heavily in service that are getting upgraded with ADSB or need to be upgraded with ADSB because now somebody wants to fly them and fly the fly the wings off of them because uh, they found a, a gym sitting in the hangar. 
Right. So you probably entered the year with a backlog of uh, of ADSB requests coming into this season. But so here we are. <clears throat> now it's October of 2020, and surprise, surprise, in mid March, uh, we all got thrown a curveball with the pandemic, uh, COVID-19. Um, so I want to talk about that a little bit. You know, the the AEA has a an avionics market report that is put out quarterly, and um, it it reports worldwide avionics sales. Uh, from the manufacturers, and through the first six months of 2020, uh, sales were down 23.6% compared to the first half of 2019. That's not surprising given the economic conditions that the country faced there in the in the in the uh, late March, April, May, and and even into June and 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 beyond that. Um, in fact, during the second quarter months of April, May, and June, sales decreased by that uh, by an amount of 37%. Um, so what I'm interested, though, is as uh, a lot of the shops that we talk to in the AEA uh, headquarters indicate that um, that our shops are still busy. So I'm curious to know is, you know, how has COVID-19 impacted your business? You know, what operational or staffing adjustments did you have to make, uh, if any? Um, and and kind of, how, you know, how did your customers respond to the pandemic? Well, the uh, pandemic really didn't slow us down. Uh, other than it sort of gave us a break because there weren't as many visitors that were coming in. Everybody kind of stayed away for the first two months. So that was kind of, uh, we'll call it nice to, to not have as many visitors uh, uh, stop by. And it got us uh, an opportunity to catch up on some of the backlog work that we had that was uh, already in the hangar and already in the, already in the channel uh, for work. Uh, the, uh, the COVID uh, stuff it almost increased our business level believe it or not we had to uh, very quickly find uh, someone else uh, to hire for a technician uh, because we were overrun with a, a level of work that we weren't able to uh, produce uh, without another uh, couple of people uh, to help and in fact uh, we had two going into the end of the year and uh, at the start of the year we hired an apprentice uh, technician uh, and he's getting traction uh, 10 months later, actually my son, and uh, towards uh, April, May, it became very apparent that the level of work that we had, we needed another person, and we found another person in the region that uh, uh, needed a job and, and uh, hired him. So we ended up with uh, four technicians, and that's about where we've stayed because there's not uh, there's not a whole lot of talent in the region to, to hire. I, I don't think, I think COVID has stopped a lot of people from moving around uh, with uh, job movement, uh, but it didn't really, uh, it didn't really affect us very much. In fact, I think our sales increased about 10% because of COVID. So it sounds like some people who are kind of getting tired or were always tired of being cooped up in their house from an aircraft owner perspective and a pilot, they're still out wanting to fly and and uh, it almost becomes a release form. So in some ways, as you said, it, 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 may, uh, it may have had a, a side effect that was positive for our industry. Well, I, I think something that did happen is when COVID hit, everybody got to stay home. So I think there were a couple of guys that sat on their computer and started shopping for aircraft parts, is what <laughs> I really think happened. And, and they had a lot of spare time to think about stuff. So that was, right. uh, that was a pretty good amount of uh, phone calls and, and uh, sales prospects and, and customers and friends that reached out over the last six, eight months that uh, 
needed advice for those things. And uh, that hasn't uh, slowed down too much. Uh, in the last couple of weeks, it slowed down some, but it's still it's still pretty steady. Right. And I know the some of this, the guidelines vary in the country, depending upon your geographic location about, uh, you know, local orders on, you know, wearing a mask and social distancing and limits to the number of people who can gather. But, you know, your business, which I believe has six employees, if I'm correct, um, you know, what's it like? Is it is it easy or is it more difficult for a repair station uh, with just the type of work we do to to socially distance themselves? I mean, you're in a hangar. Um, how difficult or, or challenging has that been, if at all, for your six employees to to adhere to those social distancing guidelines? Well, the majority of us come to work and go home. And that's kind of what we figured out during the COVID thing is we don't do a whole lot of extra stuff. So we're not really, haven't been really exposed. Uh, most of most of us in the shop, but one or two of us are, are work home, work home, driving back and forth. So we're, we haven't been exposed. Uh, uh, we're, and we're also in a, a, a lower populated region, so there's not a, a, as many people around. And, and again, so, uh, single engine airplanes don't have a lot of room for two people in them. So we sort of social distance automatically because right. you can't fit two people in a cockpit of a, of a 172. It's just it's not very comfortable to work that way. Um, so the, we explored a mask policy. Uh, our county didn't mandate a mask policy. Uh, when you go uh, four miles south Alabama, we're right next to the border. They still have a, a mask policy. A lot of stores in the area. Uh, the biggest thing is we lost uh, uh, restaurants weren't open in the region uh, where, right. where we were at for for especially the first two to three months of of the pandemic. Things have have uh, gone somewhat back to normal now, but social distancing really wasn't a thing. It uh, we we limited access to the hangar for uh, other than uh, primary crew. Um, just not a bad thing. And sometimes you don't want customers running around the hangar. I mean, everybody throws the, oh, it's insurance reasons. I've never actually heard the insurance company say that, but uh, it's kind of nice that they're not underfoot when you're when you're working on stuff in the hangar and asking questions because it does slow the guys down. So that, that was actually helpful that uh, they couldn't just be anywhere they wanted to be. But other than that, it was uh, just normal operations. Right. Has it changed any of the way you check out a customer after you do the install? I know a lot of times when you do the work, you want to be able to show the customer how to how to how to uh, operate. Does, has, did that change anything in how you interact with the customers? There were a couple of early ons. I did have uh, a couple of uh, customers that were doctors, medical uh, nurse practitioners that uh, were connected uh, to COVID environments that we opted to to not do a, a side by side uh, delivery uh, uh, of any of any length on a flight. So there were a few red, redactions. We we very much pride ourselves in flying the aircraft out with the customer at the end because it's our work. Uh, if uh, one of the one of our standards is if you don't feel like you could put your family in the airplane and go fly your family in the airplane, what more could you do that you would feel that way and feel comfortable? And uh, that's the way we try to do work. And uh, we weren't able to do that effectively for the first couple of months but we're pretty much back to normal now nothing's uh, we we don't have any restrictions there was uh, a period of time uh, that uh, we started this essential non-essential uh, business stuff uh, i don't remember if it came from you or uh, one of the consortiums for our drug program 
uh, we ended up with letters of essential workers so we could uh, travel. We had our travel papers. We could go where we wanted to, back and forth to work. And if we got stopped, we had a paper that said we were we were essential. And uh, we uh, we were our essential workers. We're keeping aircraft flying for doctors and lawyers and critical infrastructure people and considered ourselves very important in the process of making sure those people could continue to fly their airplanes, especially for service work. Install work, not so much because that's a time delay but keeping uh, uh, our customers flying that are important uh, for critical infrastructure was important to us. Absolutely. And, you know, we're again, October of 2020, hopefully uh, we'll have a vaccine coming along uh, along the way soon. I keep hearing about that possibly by the end of the year. But if you were to, you know, get your crystal ball out, uh, like so, some of us like to do, and and looking into that uh, for 2021, and the uh, some people like to say the the new normal. You know, how do you expect 2021 to be different than 2020? Um, you know, what, I, I know you're. It sounds like you're you're still busy. Your your customer backlog goes well into 2021. But what, what do you foresee uh, going into next year? Well, autopilots are getting certified faster and faster, and uh, the AML list is getting bigger and bigger. So autopilots is going to be a core uh, of what we do. Uh, uh, we intend to ride that wave of uh, autopilot installs and autopilot excellence for repairs uh, well into the next three to five years, especially into 2021. Uh, the COVID and all of the stuff in 2020 has sort of changed the trajectory. Uh, anybody that's in business, uh, all the key indicators that we used to have have sort of flipped upside down and it's hard to predict exactly where things are going to go so we're just riding the wave that we're on for the moment um, we are adding our capabilities uh, to the to the shop and to the repair station to do more and more stuff and it gets better every week and, uh, the uh, the future is really just more of the same of what we're doing and and uh, seeing if we can find some more space and some more technicians to scale yeah, and that's great. So it sounds like you would hire more if you can find them. Um, yes. You know, that's kind of been a challenge for our industry. Anybody who's followed it knows that there is a, a, a workforce development challenge within general aviation at large. But, you know, uh, what experience or character traits do you look for when you're hiring a technician? And maybe, you know, what advice would you give to aspiring technicians who want to ent enter the industry? Well, technicians that are really self-starters is probably one of the most important things. Uh, and uh, honesty and integrity are going to be two other uh, elements that uh, a technician and anybody in the aviation industry really needs. Uh, we are self-monitored and there's not a whole lot of oversight. I mean, there isn't a repair station, but there's there's not a whole lot of oversight. We're sort of on an honor system. So a technician needs to have a very high integrity um, and to recognize when they don't know how to do something to ask questions that's probably one of the highest traits and, and knowledge can be learned but there's a few traits that just are inherent um, i have spent uh, 30 years trying to decide exactly what they are i had a conversation with my mentor many years ago that i could train someone to do what i could do and he pretty much told me, no, I couldn't. And it took me a while to learn that is true. If they don't have a certain set of skills to build off of uh, their, their, you can't train, uh, you can't train someone to think logically if they're not able to do so. Uh, uh, knowledge of systems is, is pretty important, but 
just those skill sets of being able to diagnose and understand something, no matter what it is, uh, with limited information is probably the, the most uh, uh, desired trait to find in a technician. I have made a state. Go ahead. Well, I was going to say, it's, so it sounds like, you know, if somebody is interested in uh, in electronics and, and is, has those those character traits, that work ethic that you described, it sounds like, you know, you're willing to onboard them and train them and teach them the avionics piece of it. At the moment in our growth trajectory, it would be nice to have someone that could sort of, as we say, hit the ground running, that could go straight in and, and start doing stuff, knowledge of wires and crimps and pins and, and tie-ups. I mean, system interfaces with 429s, RS-232s and programmings, it changes so fast, we have to learn it just about every day. So it doesn't, right. it doesn't, it doesn't, it, 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 having that skill five years ago is different than, than today because the systems that have advanced uh, uh, substantially, especially from the Garmin product line. Um, we have talked about uh, the apprenticeship side of it and and uh, at the moment we can do one at a time and when the apprentice gets to the point where he can train somebody then it's then it's time for the next one to come on board um, the the scaling of technicians has been something that has been a challenge that i've watched for the last 30 years and it certainly has not changed um, I, I have made a, a, a somewhat funny statement as all the smart people got out of aviation in 2008 and 2011. And some of us are just still here, just don't know what to do with ourselves. <laughs> we just love it so much. Well, well Tom, how can aircraft owners uh, in the uh, Midwest and the Tennessee region find you? What's the best way for them to contact you? And also tell us what part of the state of Tennessee is Fayetteville? Uh, Fayetteville is about 70 miles south of Nashville, 20 miles north of Huntsville, uh, right between 24 and 65. We're uh, a 10-minute flight or three-minute flight from Huntsville Executive Airport in uh, North Huntsville. Uh, the easiest way to find us is our webpage, Tom Duncan Avionics, T-H-O-M-D-U-N-C-A-N, avionics.com. Uh, the Autopot South is a little bit easier to remember without the H in there. AutopotSouth.com, the two sites are blended together. Autopot South has lots of Autopot information on it, and it, they both are, are tied together with all of our contact information on it. Well, Tom, thanks so much for joining us here on AEA Amplified that's been sponsored by Avionics News Magazine, and we look forward to seeing you and your team soon at an upcoming AEA or industry event. We've got some another Connect conference here to go this, this fall in Kansas City, and uh, are planning our AEA annual international convention and trade show in Dallas next March. So hopefully we'll get a chance to see you there. But before we close, is there anything we missed or any other items that you'd like to share with our listeners in the aviation community? Thank you all for having me. I'm honored to have been uh, selected to uh, do this podcast. I'm a very proud member of the AEA, Aircraft Electronics Association, from the beginning. That was uh, really one of the first things that I wanted to make sure that I did as we started uh, started the shop and started to uh, lay in the foundation. Uh, your organization is pivotal in uh, our success uh, with uh, the training and everything that you guys do for the industry. Uh, we're just proud to be a part of all of it. Uh, thanks again, and we look forward to visiting with you soon. And again, to learn more about Tom Duncan Avionics, you can visit TomDuncanAvionics.com. And again, as he mentioned, there is an H in there. So it's T-H-O-M, DuncanAvionics.com. That's TomDuncanAvionics.com with the H. And that's going to wrap it up for today. And we hope you can join us again soon for another episode of AEA Amplified. And don't forget, you can learn more about the AEA online at AEA.net or follow us on social media platforms at LinkedIn, Facebook, 
Twitter, and YouTube. Until next time here on AEA Amplified, so long, everybody, and be safe.